This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Are you vaccinated and what's your stance on, on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of conversation around it, around the league, and a lot of guys who have made statements and have made statements, owners who made statements. Um, you know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. Um, there's guys who have been vaccinated that contracted COVID. Um, so it's, it's an interesting issue that I think we're going to see played out the entire season. So yesterday, Aaron Rodgers um, was asked status. Now, this is in the running for Jeopardy, Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers, at, at one point, right? So very calculated, very smart, very well-read, very intentional with his diction, okay? Um, when asked about his vaccination status, Aaron Rodgers says, uh, I'm immunized. He didn't say I'm vaccinated. He said I'm immunized because as I understand it, he is not vaccinated. There's some, que- at least there's some question as to whether he's actually vaccinated, whether or not he took some kind of a homeopathic remedy, some, a remedy of some sort that he researched and was told that he's immunized against COVID. So just some, something to keep in mind, something to keep in mind going forward. Around a campfire, Aaron Rodgers may think he's immunized, as he said, but that doesn't mean he took Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson. So this, this, this is going to be an ongoing story and not just for the usual suspects. Woo-wee! Oh, wow! Hey, 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 Prophet, can we get a word? Is there a word from the Lord, Prophet? Why, yes. Good news, people. Good news, congregation. There is a word from the world, uh, from the Lord. See, I, I thought I thought Michael was just an angel, but Michael is a prophet too. Boy, you were on it. You were on it a while ago. I thought, Michael Smith, when you said that about Aaron Rodgers, who used the word immunized, I actually thought Aaron Rodgers was just being cute. Thought he was being poetic. I'm like, oh yeah, he got that jab. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to say I got the jab. I got stuck. I got the shot. I'm vaccinated. He wanted to say I'm immunized. And I remember that really stood out to me. So I was like, yeah, okay, I guess like old school. Well, you went to uh, you went to the doctor with your folks. It's old school now. Everybody don't know what I'm talking about. Old school, you go get your little immunization book and they just look through your book and see what you got. I was like, okay, I guess that's what he is. But Aaron Rodgers, shame on you, bruh. This is so stupid. Look, he would have been better off if he had said, I'm not vaccinated. And hmm. and of course, I was I was going to say no judgment, Mike. But of course, there would be judgment because we that's just what we do. That's what I do. Okay, I'm speaking for myself. But this is worse. 
not only does he have to miss this game, the NFL has to do something uh, about this because the back and forth, the back and forth, according to sources, he's trying to get this pushed across and they will not consider this a vaccination. And based on, uh, based on information from people who have seen him, he has not always followed all the protocols that, vaccine, that unvaccinated players are supposed to. So I think there may be, there's got to be some kind of penalty involved in this as well. It's, it's just totally unnecessary. No, no, I disagree. I think this is more damage uh, in the short term to the Packers' chances on Sunday and perhaps damage to his reputation, uh, going back to their judgment word. But uh, I'll address that point in a moment. But first, let's hear from uh, Matt LaFleur, uh, who addressed uh, his team status absent its future Hall of Fame quarterback and now with Jordan Love uh, stepping in against Kansas City. Here's Matt LaFleur. I'm not going to get into any of our coaches or players' vaccination status. Were you aware of his status, Aaron's status, before today? Yeah, I'm not going to get into anything. If he is unvaccinated, a lot of people are going to see that as being a selfish decision on his part, given what he means to your team. How, how do you see that? I think everybody has to make their own personal decision, and that's just what it is. Aaron himself dressed it in August when he was asked about a vaccination status and said, Oh, yeah, I've been immunized. Do you feel like a poll like that might be seen as misleading to the fans? It's a great question for Aaron. I'm not going to comment on it. All right, I'll comment on the S word in a second as in selfish. So, Michael, if I knew about this in August, the league knew about it. The Players Association knew about it. Yeah. And the team knew yeah, about it. They were going back. And he forth. didn't miss. Yeah, he didn't. No, but I'm saying it was no back and forth. He applied for an exemption, and was rejected. So he was considered unvaccinated. So if he's violated the protocols right. in the interim since then, then he would have been fined. And we just didn't know about the fines. You know, if if he were violating protocols. Well, Mike, and this is just based on what at, we've seen. Well, I was just going to say real quick, just interjection. He's appearing at yeah. his his press conferences without a mask. And and other players right. who are unvaccinated have not done that. They've been on Zoom. So I don't think if you're unvaccinated, I don't think you can just kind of just kind of scoot around the building no, without I, a mask. No, there are certain event. there are certain protocols that he has to that he has to follow. And if he didn't, then he would have or will be punished. Is what I'm getting at. Maybe he was just paying the fines, and we didn't know that he was being fined for right. it. My point right, is, right, right. Th- this he didn't mislead anybody. I told you what it was on August 27th because I told you what I knew from talking to people who know. So my point is, this isn't some some like busted. He's not vaccinated. He knew he wasn't vaccinated. They all knew he wasn't vaccinated. And so what he did as it relates to protocols, either they handled it or didn't or will is the question. But but, But the bottom line is he's out against Kansas City. And you want to talk about a ripple effect. We were just talking about whether Kansas City could get its act together. Now they get yep. a much weakened, yep. uh, 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 you know, not as formidable, presumably, Packers team yes. minus Aaron Rodgers at yep. home. This, you know, with, with a little margin for error, this could make all the difference in Kansas City's playoff chances or playoff standing or for Absolutely. that matter, Green Bay's chase for the number one seed, which brings me to the bigger picture. Because, Michael, Kansas City is going to win this a, game. Kansas City going to win the game. Kansas City go win wow. this game. Okay, anyway, but go ahead. 
They go, okay, yeah, they're going I on a run. Listen. They're going on a run, and the run starts. The run starts okay. on Sunday. Okay, listen, that's I, I I get it. That's a that's a great position to take. I'm just I just you being real forceful about it, and I, I don't know that Kansas I, City has made anything look easy lately, Bruh, No, I know. I told you I know, no, I know you did. No, this ain't got nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. No, but now it helps. Helps. did. But <laughs> Kansas helps. City, Kansas City has not been the Kansas City we've grown accustomed to the last couple of years. But here's the thing about macro No, no, that's a, come on, man. Um, that's what we do. Don't, don't ever apologize for that. That's 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 the show. That's that's our relationship. I didn't apologize. <laughs> oh, okay. I apologize. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. Don't get it. Don't, don't well, go, wait, go wait, too far. Wait, now yeah. you're going too far. Hold on. Um, what was I saying? Oh, um, damn it, man! No, I forgot. My... <laughs> oh, Kyrie Irving. No. Okay. That's, that's you said you're gonna keep it. Say. You said you're so gonna keep it consistent. I'm trying to be consistent because remember, yeah, I told you with Kyrie that I was tired of arguing with contrarians. I was tired of trying to convince people that did not want to be convinced that were dug in on their positions when it comes to vaccinated or unvaccinated, right? So what I'm going to attempt to do here is not waste a bunch of time discussing Aaron Rodgers personal choice as it relates to to the issue of choice. I'm just going to try to stick to football as best I can. Not that those two things can be separated, but I'm going to try to take the football as best I can. Michael, the other day, uh, I, I likened this season so far before today. I likened this season for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers as makeup or even breakup sex. Who knew that Aaron Rodgers all this time was unprotected? Oh. Had to get that one off. Had to get that one off. Um, so here's the thing. Had to get that one. Oh, come on, man. I've been sitting that out. I mean, come on now. I'm here all week. Make sure you tip your waitresses. I am here all week, baby. Anyway, come on, like, come on. Got to bring a little levity to the situation. It's not, it's not funny. It's unfortunate. Get well soon, Aaron Rodgers. COVID is nothing to play around with. But come on, that was that was too easy. That was that was, that was, that was, that was low Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At, at right, the start, anyway. at the start, it's like anyway. all right. It's one of those. But I'm like Dave, what else I'm like Dave Chappelle. I'm bringing that joke full circle. Nobody brings yeah. a joke full circle like Dave Chappelle. That's what I'm doing. Anyway, um, what's a love story, Michael? without an episode of disappointment or even betrayal. And I think what's interesting about this Aaron Rodgers development today is that it's dripping with irony, if not hypocrisy. Because Aaron Rodgers' entire offseason uh, away, the, the pack, he and the Packers' separation, if you will, was about the Packers... Yeah doing what they thought was best for the organization, independent of Aaron Rodgers' feelings. Now here we are in November. Aaron Rodgers made the choice, the conscious choice, to go about, quote-unquote, protecting himself from COVID-19 in a way that he thought was best for him, regardless of whether or not that was best for the team. Because we've discussed ad nauseum how much stricter the protocols are for the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated, let alone if you can track COVID as Aaron Rodgers apparently has. So I say, this is why, um, I never was on Aaron Rodgers' side when it came to the idea of how dare the Packers draft a quarterback in the first round. And not to say that's the only way you can yeah. acquire a backup quarterback, but that same backup quarterback that was the source of his resentment toward the front office, along with some other moves that he 
either didn't like or would have liked to have seen. I get that it was more than just Jordan Love. I know that. Might come to his rescue on Sunday. Might come to his rescue. Thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth, so take it from there. Yeah, I mean, look, I- I'm with you. I'm with you on this, Mike. Uh, you think about what we were just at the beginning of this week. Beginning of this week, we're talking about the Packers. Uh, or no, last week. It was last week. Thursday night football. Great Thursday night game between the Packers and the Cardinals and Aaron Rodgers. And we're giving him all kinds of love and how he's appreciating the process now and how he could work with uh, any teammate and how he may stay. Now, he may not go anywhere. I still believe but, that. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's possible. But okay. He appreciates his teammates. He appreciates right. his teammates now. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. He didn't appreciate Jordan Love before today, but I, he's got to be rooting for Jordan Love big time against the Chiefs because, as you pointed out, they're playing in a very competitive NFC. I can't really. I, I'm calling the Packers as the best team only because I said it at the beginning of the season. That's your preseason Super Bowl. To jump all over the place. But, but the fact is, makes total fact sense. is, much easier that way. I mean, but come on, come on, <laughs> right. it is. And it's like I don't want to get, I want to, I want to muddy the waters here. Oh, but you yeah. got the Packers, you got the Cowboys, you got the Buccaneers. Hey, you got the, the Saints too. You got the right. Saints. You got the, you got the Rams. Yeah. You got I mean, the Cardinals. there are a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams out there fighting for it. And if you mm-hmm. lose this game, you know how the Packers are in Green Bay. They're a different franchise. They're a different team uh, when they're playing in Green Bay. Not franchise, different team when they're playing in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if if Jordan Love cannot deliver them on Sunday, which he won't, it's not personal. It's just Kansas City. He's he's facing a team that has figured has been to the valley and now going <laughs> to the mountaintop. He's he's not going to uh, he's not going to get them a win. What a just what an interruption! What a stain on a season right. that was feeling special. I'm just I just think it was well, just I, a really dumb thing. It was just a dumb thing for it was a dumb. You know what? It's a dumb fight. It was a dumb fight. There you go. You stick. You stick it with uh, the relationship. Some fight. <laughs> yeah. Some fights. Right. Hey, I told you before. Some fights. I was in one. I was in a little. little I was starting to go in one last night. I said, nope. I'm gonna apologize because I was wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna apologize, and I'm gonna move on. And I told you what I told Oni uh, once upon a time. I said, Oni, I'm not trying to win the fight. I'm trying to win the relationship. Ooh. ooh. That's it. That's it. That's it. How about a little something? How about a little something? No. Uh, Anyway. Hey. For for him, (laughs) hey, (laughs) you know, he can win this, Mike. I like, oh, how about um, you want players to either they're going to be vaccinated or not, but how about this? It's always a kid like that, right? Always somebody coming up with, well, how about I introduce a third option? Ain't no third option. Right. If you're vaccinated, these are the rules. If you're unvaccinated, that's your choice. Uh, and we don't have a mandate, but if you're unvaccinated, these are the rules. Ain't and no third option. Rules, there are consequences, and those consequences come at the expense of your teammates. So, like we talk about in, in you know in society at large. It's like, yeah, it's your personal choice, but your personal choice affects the rest of us. So then it becomes my personal choice that you're making on my behalf. Yeah. Likewise, when Aaron Rodgers decides at the most important position in the sport and a player who we all know is able to elevate his team despite losses at receiver and offensive line and, de- and tight end and defense and whatever, when he decides to make the personal choice to be immunized and not vaccinated, 
that comes at the consequence of a potential win um, and potential standing in the playoffs. And who knows how the season could play out as a result of his personal choice. There's that S word selfish again. He did what was best yeah. for Aaron. And again, he didn't lie. I told you on August 27th that word immunized was intentional. He wasn't vaccinated. They knew it. The team knew it. The team knew it. The teammates knew it. The organization knew it. Marcellus knew it. And Aaron Rodgers should have better <laughs> known better. Okay? <laughs> because this is this is the risk he was taking. So he knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he decided to go about it that way. And here he is, you know, in the preseason, walking around maskless. Granted, he's outdoors. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But who knows who he put at risk, both in terms of availability and just their health. But he, but in the short term, Michael, go back to Jordan Love for a second. I told you it was a silver lining in the offseason. He got more work in in the offseason, minicamp, training camp, preseason, than he would have otherwise had Aaron Rodgers come and done his job as usual. I think that manifests itself in this game. I would not underestimate Jordan Love's ability to put forth a, a, a strong effort. I'm not looking for him to be Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think he's going to go in and, 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 and poop the bed in Kansas City. Tough place to play, yeah. tough team. And the other thing is this. It may not just be one game because if my math is right, Michael, I think it's 10 days that he has to be away. So his return right. would be the day before they play Seattle. So Jordan right. Love may be looking at a two-game opportunity to show that mm -hmm. the Packers knew what they were doing all along drafting a quarterback in the first round, a guy that they were high on. Yeah. Because just like Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to sound like a broken record, just like Aaron Rodgers did what was best for him in not taking the vaccination or a, 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 not taking the shot, one day Aaron Rodgers is going to do what's best for him and walk away from the game. Or one way Aaron Rodgers is going to do what's best for him and force his way out of Green Bay and say, I'm, I'm not, this time I'm not giving y'all a second chance. I'm leaving. Mm. I want out of here. And the Packers are going to have to make a determination and in hit and, and ready and willing and able. We'll see. But waiting in the wings is Jordan Love. And I think he'll play well this weekend. Uh, now, that's interesting. I'm going to uh, make one more point for you and uh, tell me if you agree with this. And, and, and before I make the point, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, uh, Gary and Wyatt, I don't know if you're able to do this. Can you put uh, Michael and I in, in, uh, in, in, a, I guess in a two box? And uh, and have Matt Lafleur, that Matt Lafleur, just play that. Not necessarily the sound, but just the look on his face. Is that possible? You know, put us on the side. What do you call that? A strip. Put us on the rail and put Matt Lafleur in the middle. A three box. Because I'm going to say three. Well, I guess it's a three box. It's a three box. It's two, you know, us on the side and Lafleur in the middle. Because I want to say to you, <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Three box. All right. I'm getting all That's that. the Brown stuff Thank right you. there. Horns. Hey, keep it right back there. Go back. Get a drum or Back to the <laughs> back to the beginning. Bridge. <laughs> that was pretty. That Way was pretty back. impressive. That was pretty impressive. Mind power. <laughs> da, 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 da. Fred. We anyway, just, they, we just, they just out there taking requests in the, in the control room, huh? <laughs> Go ahead. What this you about dude. I know how you told me, and I'm a little hurt by it. You told me that you don't think I can learn to be a spades player. Since I ain't never played spades, and you can't teach me, you said that off the air. You were, yeah, hey Mike, I can teach you to play spades, exactly but you're gonna be bad at it. Yeah, that's not what exactly you said. what I said. You said okay, I can teach you. You'll be bad. That's what you said. You ain't gonna be good. Okay. You ain't gonna be okay. okay. You, said, you ain't gonna be good. Okay. Because, okay. but I don't know about 
spades, if, if, if you look on your face, determines what you got. This dude's a bad poker player. He is pissed <laughs> at the he is a bad poker player. He is pissed at the question. I don't know if he, he's pissed at Rogers. He's just like I would be don't leave me alone. Like this ain't what he, I expected he, to wake he, up he, to. If, if I'm mad, look, no. this ain't what I expected. When I, when I came, I'm, we seven and one. We riding high. This this entire winning streak since the opening debacle has completely covered up. Like nobody nobody talked about. I didn't even bring it up again. I, I never brought it up again, Michael. I never brought up the fact that Aaron Rodgers was operating on. He's standing on shaky ground. Shout out to the Temptations. That yeah. Aaron Rodgers was in a tenuous <laughs> position. Right. When it came to his to his availability, that at any moment he could either be a close contact, which I'm surprised with Devontae Adams. Yeah. I don't know all the ins and outs of that, so I don't want to speak out of school. But nonetheless, it could have been a close contact or test positive. I forgot about it. You know why? Because they were winning, they were rolling, and then you wake up in the morning like, hey, right. your quarterback's out. But this is why you invest in in, in your in your backup quarterback. So, yeah, what, you so, know, so, we'll so, see what Jordan Love got. It's, it's 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 never a bad time for love. It is never a bad as time a, for as love. a great. And this is fascinating. As a great Ty Law, yeah, as a great Ty Law used to say, so, 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 uh, why do you think I can't play space, though, for real? Come on. Oh, I, I just want to know that. Are you really hurt by that? Yeah, man, really yeah, hurt? it kind of, it kind of stung me a little bit. I didn't mean to insult you. I, I just think, think I, I, I'm not saying you couldn't learn, but you're a smart guy. Of course you could learn. I just don't think it's something that unless you grew up watching it and playing it, and, and you played it all through, you know, middle school and high school and college. And you stayed middle up all night playing. School. I just don't, I just middle don't school. know that it's something that you're gonna. That's it's not gonna be innate. You won't have the instincts for it. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's like it's like a language. School. It's like a language. You, I was you, just you, you trying to walk. Like in, a I was speaker. trying to walk and chew gum. I was trying to walk and chew gum in middle school. I was you. just trying to learn my name. Like you were playing spades in middle school. Come on. I don't know. Happy birthday, Matt LaFleur. By the way, happy birthday. <laughs> See? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, Odell will not be out there. He's been excused. Uh, Andrew Berry and his representatives are, are continuing to talk. Uh, so for de- today, Odell will not be out there. Uh, no reaction, Tony. I would just tell you social media in, in general uh, is uh, I'm not on it. Um, I'm aware of, of things that are on there, but I just think in general, we talk about ignoring the noise uh, in our building, and, and certainly there's a lot of things on social media that, that we need to ignore. We work really hard to get guys open, get them the ball, you know, share the ball. Those are always things that we're thinking about. And there's a report that just came out a couple minutes ago that, that you told the team this morning that Odell is not part of the team anymore. Is that true? Do you consider him part of the team? Yeah, I would just tell you again, today he's excused, and, and we'll see where this goes. All right, Mike Smith, uh, let, let me give you a good translation, brother, um, about Odell Beckham Jr. And I say that uh, intentionally with the emphasis on 
Jr., Odell Beckham Jr., what Kevin Stefanski was trying to say in so many words was, man, that post from Odell Beckham Sr. really was something we were not looking for. And uh, we don't think a good teammate should be doing stuff like that. And it was on his official page. I'm not on social media, but I'm a yeah. But it was on his official page. Did Odell do it? It was on. It was on, it was on Odell's yeah, no, official page. It was o- Odell's page. That's where it was. It was on Beckham's page. So, all right. Um, we don't like that. Yeah. We don't really support that. And as a result, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. He's going to be released. Mike, he's going to be released. He's going to be released. It's probably like it may even happen before the show's over. The -hmm. personal excuse. And that was like that was the last straw. That was the last straw for it. And just just and I may have misread that. I thought I saw it was on Beckham, but maybe it's Beckham Sr.'s official page. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Okay. okay. I, I, right. I'm looking right now. I'm like, wait, did I miss something? But I mean, look, look, right. but continue. That's that's. But, but the, that's but the point is, yeah. point semantics. Is, semantics. Uh, the point is, this was the last straw for them. This is the last straw. Something's huh. going on. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming, because I don't know mm-hmm. why he was open. We talked about it yesterday. I don't know right. why Baker Mayfield didn't throw him the ball. I have no idea. Uh, I don't think I take Beckham for the right price. On most teams, I think half the teams in the league would take him for the right price. But <clears throat> this is bigger than that. I think they're just, they are, they, the situation is untenable. They didn't like the social media. Maybe it was a, a posting of, of Odell Beckham Sr. and the response or lack of a response from Junior. But trading deadline, that deal supposedly broke down with the Saints, Saints. and mm-hmm. they are just moving on. So they go release them. I'll tell you, they go release them today. That's what, have, that, that's what that whole thing is about. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's obvious at this point. Uh, I mean, the, all the reporting is that he's not a part of the team. It's just a matter of they can't trade him now, obviously. So it's just a matter of if not when uh, he's done in the dog pound. Um, it's funny that um, Kevin Stefanski said he's not on social media because, again, without having been in the facility and without having been a fly on the wall in the locker room to be able to speak with authority about Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield's relationship, or for that matter, Odell Beckham and Kevin Stefanski's relationship, from the outside looking in, this response by the Browns is a very social media-like response, as in thin-skinned. Because, you know, nowhere do, do hit dogs holler louder than on social media. I say that to say this. So his dad posts the video of all the times that Odell Beckham Jr. appeared open, but Baker Mayfield didn't hit him. What's worse, the posting of the video or the fact that he was open and you're not hitting him. Post like, the video. Okay. The, again, thin-skinned. Yeah. Because to me, you could say, well, Odell had something to do with this. This was his passive-aggressive way of trying to pressure him to get out through his father 
or for Le- through LeBron James, for that matter, his boy LeBron. You could say that this was some kind of concerted effort behind the scenes, if you like, and that Odell was complicit in this attack. But again, just how I like to operate, the only things that offend me and bother me are things that I know in my heart of heart to be true. My heart of hearts to be true. And the problem is, while Odell Beckham does lead the team in targets with 34, one of the lowest for a team leader in the league, which I think speaks to more the identity of the offense. I think it's about the identity of the offense as well as the availability of everybody else. Everybody else's availability coming and going. They've spread spread the ball quite around around quite a bit. But if we are correct in our presumption and, and the writing is on the wall, that they are going to yeah. release him at any moment now. There must be something. What, my, what I'm getting at, Michael, is there must be something. There must be something else to this story. It has to be personal. They have to have come to the conclusion that behind the scenes, more than we saw yesterday on social media, Michael, that behind the scenes that Odell Beckham is a distraction and is a problem in the building to where they're better off without him. Because, again, on the surface, tell me how you're better off with him on the field if he's getting open and you're not getting in the football. This is an organizational failure, and they can make Odell Beckham the fall guy if they want to, but they're going to lose him for nothing, and I guarantee you he goes somewhere else and balls out. I guarantee Well, hold on, hold on. Hey, 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 no, nobody made him the fall. Nobody necessarily made him the fall guy. They're not trying to make him the if they release if they release him if is if well, let me explain it a little bit more if they if they decide this is addition by subtraction and they release him because he's a distraction. Let's just call it a distraction. Okay. Okay. For social media or other reasons. If that's what they decide to do, then they're deciding that the organizational failure that is and I know the previous regime acquired him, but the organizational failure that is the Odell Beckham experiment in Cleveland is Odell's fault. Otherwise, well, I mean, who do you hold accountable for like, the, your best receiver not getting the football enough? Hey, hey, there was some, instead of there, instead there, of being some, upset that the dad called out the quarterback, how about you fix the problem and get him the ball? Okay, there's a, there's a lot to untangle here. There's a lot to untangle here. All right, so let's start with let's start with dad, uh, Odell Beckham Sr. Let's start with him. Uh, you're a dad. I'm a dad. Um, I know, I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that you would do anything for your family. You do anything for your kids. You do anything for your kids. Uh, mm-hmm. No matter what kind of attitude that your 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 teenagers might give you or my teenager might give me. No, no matter what, no matter how much they might give you that look and you talk back and you say who you talking to. Uh, check your tone, all that stuff. You do anything for your kids. I would and Odell Beckham senior uh, would and is too. But let me tell you, I don't want to hear from your daddy. I don't want to hear from your mama in professional sports. I don't want to hear from them. I don't want dad breaking down all 22s. I don't want the spot shadow from dad. I don't want the circle. I don't want, hey, look, there's a slant route. He ran up and out. They missed <laughs> pretty well produced. Nine. <laughs> hey, 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 he's dad. Dad should come on camera and be like, hey, Odell doing this. I got you know, like Randy Moss. I got single covers. Throw it up, dog. No, I don't want that. I don't want that from the from the from the uh, parent. So that's one. But here's the other thing, and you just referenced it. And this is not um, this is not just a small matter. Odell Beckham Jr. is not a fit for certain franchises. 
He's not a fit for certain schemes. Not his fault. He got to Cleveland. They had Landry. They're they thinking they got Landry. We got Odell. Uh, we got Njoku. Why is he not we go spread it out. We got we got Why is because he not a Kevin. He's not a fit because in this scheme, if he's really going to do it well, Kevin, uh, Kevin Stefanski has a this is a hybrid. I'm going to tell you what this is. Uh, growing up in Northeast Ohio, I tell you exactly what it is. So egalitarian is, offense. No, no, no. I'm saying this is this is a this is a modern version of what Marty Schottenheimer and Lindy Infante, whoa, going the Wayback Machine, did mm. when they had Ernest Mack. I mean, uh, Kevin Mack, Ernest Biner, yeah. Webster's Webster Slaughter. Brian. It's like so. It 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 it's like the last days of uh, like Ozzy too. Ozzy Newsom. Okay. Hanford You've Dixon have and Frank Minifield in the back. Frank of the Minifield. Backfield. That's right. That's right. So what they're doing is that was my team still, on Take My Bowl. Had, don't don't talk about the Browns. Yeah, yeah. That was my squad on Take My Bowl. That's right. <laughs> at one point, at one point they had two one thousand yard rushers. I remember. So does that sound familiar? Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. I I, I get the other the in there. But the point is, I get it. The point is, you got to have receivers who say. All right, I, I know I'm not gonna get 1,400. I know that. I know I'm not gonna get my 1,200. I, 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 I'm gonna have to block sometimes. Sure. And, and that's not that's not Odell's game. Well, let me it's stop you there. Fault. But let me but, but please that's let me stop. Allow game. me to stop you there. But, but allow me to stop you there. Piece. What has he said or done right. to suggest that he wants his numbers winning be damned? Again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know some people have the body language police have talked about how he reacted to Dearness Johnson's touchdown and and, okay. and, and, and when, when, when Baker scrambled and got hit out of bounds and he got up and he did the first down signal and the, fire, the crowd got fired up against Pittsburgh, he didn't respond. I know there are different people that are looking at for clues to support their theory of Odell Beckham as I'm not, a malcontent. I'm not, no, I'm not saying you are. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying I know I'm not, that. But I'm not criticizing him. I'm not criticizing so, but, but, him, but there's personally. been no indication. There's not, been no indication that he needs a hundred, a hundred receptions. Yes, well, I'm is. simply talking yes, about. Yes, there is indication. That's his game. Which, that's who he is. He's not Anquan Bolden. I mean, like that. That and, 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 and he's gifted. He, I I know, but I'm saying he's not Anquan Bolden. Caught a lot of balls, but also was that tough receiver who can who who can. Like, and here's a better one. Anquan Bolden, somewhere between. Okay, how about this? Somewhere between Hines Ward and Anquan Bolden. Oh, so you talking think, about like blocking? About you talking about as a blocker? Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you. I thought you were talking about just like in terms of opportunities, given that it's a run-first offense. In that scheme, he is okay. not the ideal fit, and it's not his fault. Okay. But when they, when Kevin Stefanski got there, he probably uh, he's probably thinking anybody like him, and not just Odell. It's not an Odell story. It's a I'm that kind of receiver who you put me yeah, you put me in space. Uh, you, you run me on certain well, routes and, and you just watch me go. Okay. And well, it's the first game running that kind of offense. Well, we got to go in a moment, but I'll just say this. That's arrogance. Um, because as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller, as a schemer, your job is to get your best players of football. And how's that scheme working out lately when it comes to scoring points? Sure. You can use injuries as an excuse. But how's that scheme working yeah. out? And nobody's saying that Odell Beckham got to get fed 15 targets a game and got to and, and, and get 100 yards every game. We, and by we, I'm talking about me and his dad, 
are simply talking about Baker Mayfield's errant throws hey. or just not even looking hey, Odell Beckham's saying? way. This, there's a middle ground of what we're talking about, Michael. I'm not talking about him being the, the league leader That's in receptions. True. Okay? But he's down here in terms of being utilized. And the, it's an organizational failure on the part of Browns or the part of the Browns for not properly utilizing a gifted player. I refuse to believe that this dude is washed. They want you to believe that he is. All right, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe he's washed. And I believe he's going right. to go somewhere else. And, and that team will show the Browns how to use him. In the meantime, have fun scoring 10. And if you're lucky, 17 points a game. If you're lucky with your Listen, team. Listen, man. You can't, have, you can't have mom and dad calling your teammate. What does that got to do with anything? But what does that got to do with anything? Hey. Hey, it's a it's so family. Get out your We're we grown to, ass we men. To, no, no. Hey, okay. Hey, hey, dad, just... Enjoy the ride, Dad. I know you want the best for your son. Don't be getting up in the business. I don't need you doing that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X. It was destiny that they would meet. They're changing the way the world saw the black man. There were these outside forces that prevented them from continuing this beautiful relationship. Malcolm X and anybody else who talks about attacking Elijah Muhammad will die. Do you remember anything that Muhammad Ali regretted? That's a hell of a hell of a question. Uh, Mike, I'm so excited to talk to our first guest today, Marcus A. Clark, uh, the director of the documentary Blood Brothers, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. It's on Netflix now. I've seen it a couple of times. And uh, Marcus, it's so exciting to talk to you, brother, uh, because it's a, this is a story, this relationship of two titans uh, of American history. Uh, I, I was saying to somebody, like, two of the people in, in elementary school where there's a bunch of famous black people on the wall, two of them were blood brothers and best friends for a three-year period, two of the most important figures of the 20th century and beyond. Um, I've always wanted to see this story told. Frankly, I want to tell this story. So I was so excited when it came out, and it lived up to my expectations. You did a phenomenally thorough job. And I'm going to ask you my first question from the perspective, again, of somebody who wanted to see this story. And we started one night, one night in Miami to an extent, which was great, but wanted to see a deep dive on this. What was this... I don't want to say burden because it's kind of a negative connotation. What was this mantle like for you? What was this responsibility mm -hmm. like for you to not? It's hard enough to tell Malcolm's story, hard enough to tell Muhammad's story, but to tell their intersection. Tell what was yeah. this like for you, man? Absolutely, man. First of all, thank you, gentlemen, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, you nailed it with that first question. I mean, there was a, a great deal of responsibility, um, and that responsibility really was a gift. You know, it wasn't a burden. Um, and, you know, from when I first came on the project, I was aware of kind of the opportunity that was in front of me. Um, I was aware of how rare this story was and that I had an ability to tell this story uh, uniquely and authentically in a way that was different. 
Um, and so it's a really powerful experience just going through the process of putting the story together. And like you mentioned, you know, there's so much information about Malcolm X independently, and there's so much information about Muhammad Ali independently. Uh, it was a real challenge to kind of weave the stories together. And so there was an opportunity to do a little bit of like parallel storytelling, if you will, and show, showing from whence these men came, you know, what was their childhood like? What was their early upbringing like? And how did those events kind of influence um, why this relationship would be so potent and be so important? And so, you know, I took that responsibility. I kind of, you know, wore it on my shoulders as we made the film and tried to make the best decisions to present a really balanced story, but a really deep dive, you know, into the culture, into the nuances of the relationship and some of the challenges, you know, that existed between them. You know, you think about this, Marcus, uh, when you're going through any kind of project, you know, I just look at uh, myself from, from a book standpoint, you know, you have this long project and you still come back to, you know, one or two things. You just remind yourself, this, what I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm the person for this moment. What was it for you? Did you look at it that way? Did you distill it to that, like, you know, midpoint at the beginning? This is what I'm trying to do. And if so, what was that thing you kept reminding yourself? Well, you know, again, the, the responsibility was a big part of it. Um, but the process for me was really, you know, a process of discovery, um, not just following the story and outlining the relationship, um, but into myself, you know, and into my culture, into where I come from. You know, I'm born in Br Brooklyn, New York, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my parents were, you know, Jamaican, of Jamaican descent. And so, you know, there was a lot of kind of cultural uh, nuances and, um, you know, inflection points that were personal to me. And that was like the influence of Marcus Garvey and working that into the story. And so the whole process of production was a deep dive. And I kept trying to, you know, follow the story and outline, you know, just what the most important elements were. But for me, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of maturity. It was a lot of discovery. And it was a lot of staying focused on the core relationship staying focused on the, the core premise of the story. You know, with Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, there's so much information and legacy to get into, really whittling down what are the moments that these men's lives crossed? What are the right. moments that were most impactful to both of these men together? Um, that was how we had to really stay laser focused on the story. And of course, when you watch, there's, there's plenty of things that, you know, we could have gone into and other kind right. of detours we could have taken with the story. And that's part of the challenge with a film like this is really staying focused on what is the mission, right? Yeah. What is exactly, what is the narrative? What is the mission? And how do all of these moments in the archival material and the video and the photos, how do these underscore the premise of this exact relationship and this specific three year time period between 1962 and 1965? You know, Marcus, uh, seeing this footage just uh, warms my heart. And I just think about some of the moments that you've talked about in this film and that we know from history, like Malcolm X uh, with, the, with the fight, with the win, with the surprising win in Miami uh, that, that uh, then Cassius Clay had, and then we found out he was Muhammad Ali, but uh, you know, that happened. Malcolm is there taking pictures, but Malcolm used to incorporate, you know, Muhammad Ali stories into his speeches. Hey, I was watching my brother the other night and this, so uh, w clearly from the name of this show, we have a great appreciation for brotherhood. And I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, what were some of those moments, a couple of them, those, those brotherhood nuggets, those ones that just, that you cherished uh, in this relationship that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention uh, or as much attention as some other stories between these two. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Malcolm X, 
not only was a visionary um, and an incredible orator, um, speaker, civil rights leader, but he was also, he was a man, he was a father, um, and he was a brother. And between him and Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay at the time, you know, Malcolm was uh, sharing a lot of the wisdom that he had. You know, he was 17 years uh, Cassius' senior. And so he had a better, better understanding of the world, of the nation of Islam and their teachings. And he had a great deal of understanding of psychology. And he really believed in Cassius Clay before everyone else believed in Cassius Clay. And I think that's an important takeaway from this film. You know, when Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, went into the fight against Sonny Liston, he was the underdog. Nobody thought he was going to win that fight. Sonny Liston was a beast. He was a beast and he was a brute and he was someone that people feared. And Cassius Clay, you know, big talker, but people didn't think he had a chance to win that fight. Malcolm X did think so. In fact, he believed in him. And that meeting that they had before the fight, he impressed on him, you know, not only is this your destiny, but you are divine and you have the ability to win this fight. In fact, you're supposed to win this fight. And so today we would say, you know, he put Malcolm X, put the battery in his back. And so when Cassius Clay comes out for that fight and, you know, does what we all know, he becomes the heavyweight champion. Um, this sends shockwaves through the sports community and through the nation kind of as in general, America. Um, this is a big moment for black people. Um, this is a big moment for confidence and for pride. Uh, this is a big moment for Islam. And, you know, I think that one of the rarest clips in the film comes from Malcolm X right after the fight in which he talks about the psychology, you know, of people who understand psychology and the impact that the image of seeing someone like Cassius Clay win, mm -hmm. you know, they knew that if, if, if people start associating with that, they'd have Negroes running around saying, I'm the greatest. Mm -hmm. And so Malcolm X had the foresight, the insight to say, this man has an incredible amount of potential, not just physically, but right. in order to, to change the, the opinion and the impression of black people um, around the world. And so in that way, he was a visionary. And, and in that way, you know, I think people sometimes forget that Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, had someone like that in his corner, really in his ear, um, providing him the confidence and the inspiration and the faith and the wisdom to be able to achieve great things, you know, incredible things. All that despite Malcolm's uh, disinterest, uh, general disinterest in sports. Um, but let me ask you this. Um, you, I'm sorry, you have, you have something you want to add? Yeah, well, it, 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 uh, it's noteworthy that before Cassius Clay wins, um, the Nation of Islam actually did not uh, support sports. They were not right. in favor of sports or in competition, which, of course, you know, uh, affects Malcolm in, a, in some way because he kind of diverges from that in order to support mm -hmm. Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali. And the reason for that, from my understanding and my research, is, you know, sports and competition involve a certain amount of luck which is kind of the absence of, of godliness or of religion. Um, and so that's why they were kind of persuaded away from sports. But after he becomes a heavyweight champion and now he is this, this figurehead, um, he gets all the support, you know, including the nation yeah. in, in his, in his you know, athletic abilities. Yeah. Uh, not, and no pun intended, but from my vantage point, you did not pull any punches when it came to telling this story. Um, you know, Malcolm, of course, was assassinated um, in uh, 1965. And, um, you know, we lost Ali not that long ago. But a lot of this still feels fresh in many respects. In other words, Marcus, you waded into some sensitive waters uh, with two very important legacies uh, mm -hmm. that still resonate. Whether it's, you know, the Nation of Islam, 
uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, children and family, Malcolm's children and family. I wonder what it was like for you politically to produce this story and to tell it in an authentic and accurate way. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a big challenge with the film. Because um, one, I wanted to uphold the legacies in a way that, you know, we can celebrate them and respect their contributions and every part of, you know, what they've accomplished. But also, you know, if we're going to get into this story, we got to get into the real. Um, that's what makes it authentic. And that's what makes it kind of a deep dive into this complicated relationship. Um, this isn't an easy relationship to understand or to dissect. And so for me, it was really important to, to present enough context and not only that, but to present the sentiment in which, you know, the fever, the sentiment, the temperature of what was going on at that time to understand, you know, why was this so controversial? Um, what did Malcolm do and, and what was the impact of what Malcolm said um, to people who were, you know, devout followers of the nation? What was what was this vitriol? What was the anger or the, you know, the, the what was the anger that could have led to, you know, someone being taken from us in this way? And so to do that, you know, it's a really human story. Um, people are, are, are many things. People are loyal. People are disloyal. People do good things. People do bad things. And to get to the core of the story and the core of the, the rift um, that ripped these two men apart, we had to go deep into, you know, some of the difficult issues. And I think, you know, through some of the interviews like Rahman Ali, Muhammad Ali's brother, who's with him, you know, throughout the course of his journey of his life from a kid, you know, all the way to the end, um, you know, he's there. He's there in between him and Malcolm. He's there around Muhammad Ali at every pivotal point in his life. And through the documentary, you can see he has a lot of admiration for Malcolm X. He has a lot of admiration for the relationship that him and his brother had with Malcolm X. But when we get to some of these issues of the betrayal um, and some of these things that Malcolm was saying, he still harbors a serious amount of frustration and anger. And it's kind of like it's difficult for him to talk about these things. But I think it really shows a range of the emotions that are at play, um, that you can have respect for somebody while also noticing uh, maybe their mistakes in some people's eyes or their transgressions in some people's eyes. And I think to understand who these men were, you have to see some of their flaws um, to understand what, you know, what they were going through, what motivated them, what could have motivated them and kind of the complexity of the relationship. People tend to forget Muhammad Ali was in his 20s when this right. happened. And so there's a lot of complicated kind of politics, social, so, social politics and political politics and, you know, religious politics that he was trying to navigate at a very, very young age. And mm -hmm. so, you know, this is not going into the mistakes is not to uh, place blame on anybody in particular, but to really show a holistic picture of, of all the different circumstances and why this was so complicated and the emotions yeah. behind some of what was going on at that time. And you've spoken previously about Malcolm, excuse me, Muhammad Ali, as we know him, does not exist without the influence of, of his big brother, uh, more, so, more, so to speak, uh, Malcolm X, which brings me to more of a contemporary question, if you will. Just given how much you know, just want to focus on, on Ali for a second, how much you know sure. about him, uh, gold standard for what it means to be a black athlete uh, in America. Um, how does it make you feel, given the work you've done and the research you've done and how much you've come to know about this man? How does it make you feel um, when, whether it's LeBron James or uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, or even some have dared to place Kyrie Irving in that tradition, so to speak? Um, how does it make you feel when anybody contemporary is compared to Ali? 
Well, I think that uh, I think that's a natural kind of comparison. I think sometimes people, you know, time is a really important element in all of these stories, right? And time changes the legacy of men. That's something we get into in the film. Um, and so I think it's hard to make comparisons between, you know, people in the present day without acknowledging that time hasn't passed yet. So Colin Kaepernick, in my opinion, is very close to the legacy of Muhammad Ali in terms of what he's doing, what he stands for, and actually taking those sacrifices for what he believes in. Um, mm. And I think any athlete that does that and endures the sacrifices, which is the hardest part, it's not just making a statement, but it's actually taking mm. the sacrifice for what you believe in, that's the most important part. And so I think those comparisons are fair. Now, are they Muhammad Ali? No, they're not. But they are something like it. They're close yeah. to it. And so there's a lot of people, I've spoken on this before, who might love Muhammad Ali, celebrate Muhammad Ali, and then not understand why Colin Kaepernick is kneeling, which is a very yeah. conflicting conflicting attitude to have. If you love yeah. Muhammad Ali and support what this man is about and you know what he's about, how could you not support what Colin Kaepernick is about and what he's standing for? And so, right. you know, I think the, the test of time will show that Kaepernick was on the right side of history. Um, yep. And that there are a lot of forces that were working against him. Um, and I think any athlete that really stands up for what they believe in um, has to, you have to make the comparison or the connection to Muhammad Ali because he showed us that it's possible to do that. And when Muhammad Ali stood up against the Vietnam War, this was wildly controversial. People called him a draft dodger. People, you know, this was a big deal. This was not something casual. He, he endured sacrifices for what he believed in. And so to me, that's the most important part because it takes an incredible amount of backbone uh, to stand up for what you believe in against the, the, the will of the time period. Um, and that's a right. really important element. There is no cap without that's Ali, such, quite simply. That's, that's right. That's such a great, that's that's right. such, a, such a great point. Such a great point, Marcus. And you think about uh, leaders, so many leaders who are, who are exalted now weren't in their time, whether it was Malcolm or Ali yeah. Uh, whether it was MLK, who at yeah. one point was one of the most unpopular people in America, and now he's got a holiday, you know, uh, celebrated by conservatives right. and liberals, which is, uh, which is really interesting. But you said something, and, right. and, you know, it just really uh, it stuck with me. You said, uh, this is a relationship between uh, Ali and Malcolm that was, you know, difficult to understand. It's complicated. Um, you can't just break it down. So with this difficult relationship, you walk away from this project. You've done tons of research. You really, uh, it, it's, you put yourself into it. What did you learn about this complicated relationship that maybe, you know, you didn't realize before there's, there's, is there a part of this relationship? You're like, oh, wait a minute. I see it now. I didn't, and I wanted this project. I didn't see it before. Yeah, well, to be honest, a lot of the project was that because like I mentioned, I knew about both of them respectively separately. And, you know, a lot of research went into this, all the films, all the books, you know, publications, and there really is a lack of coverage of the friendship. And so a lot of it was me asking, you know, why have we seen so many movies and documentaries that have not touched on the impact of this relationship, which was significant? This is not like some small sidebar relationship. This was significant to the man that Muhammad Ali became. And if you look at what he spent his life doing in his later years, it's almost an extension of that relationship, of the, the, the principles of that relationship. Um, it's a performance of what Malcolm X saw in him and his ability to reach black and brown people 
around the world. And so he takes that mantle and he continues with that work. And so it's kind of like a symbolic, in, to my, in my opinion, a symbolic throwback to the man that helped him kind of get to where he was and understand who he was, you know, as a black man, as a black athlete, as a, as a black Muslim um, at that time. And so, so much of this was discovery um, and really bringing to the surface the importance of this, of this pivotal relationship. And then for me, again, the big part of the kind of the, uh, the third act of the film where this new information comes up is that in his later years, Muhammad Ali actually reaches out to the next of kin of Malcolm X. He reaches out to Atala Shabazz. He reaches out to Ilyasa Shabazz and forms this new relationship with them. Um, and as if you've seen the film, Ilyasa mentions, you know, it's likely that he felt that he owed it to Malcolm to play a role in their life. And so this is new information that we, we really hadn't known how deep it went before. And so, you know, that's a very private part of their relationship. And so we did the best to kind of bring that to the surface and to show that there was this gesture from Ali to form this relationship, which I think underscores that later in his life, he really did. This was really one of his greatest regrets. And he writes that yeah. in the book, Soul of a Butterfly, you know, for the greatest, you know, we know him as the greatest, the greatest boxer, the greatest athlete, the greatest of all time. For him to say that his greatest regret was turning his back on Malcolm X, I mean, that says it all. That says it all. And that, that, that knowing that is how I was approaching the film. Let's approach it from this regret and redemption story. Yeah. Um, watching uh, election coverage last night and the results, so much of what Malcolm said in the 60s resonates now. Couldn't help but wonder what he would say about America in general, you know, the Democratic Party in particular, just, but that's a conversation for another day. Bottom line, Marcus Clark, uh, brilliant work, brother. Uh, the film is Blood Brothers. If it's not, if you haven't seen it, it needs to be in your watch list. And do yourself a favor and check out Bro Blood Brothers on Netflix. Phenomenal work, and we can't wait to see what you do next, man. Thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me today to talk about Blood Brothers. I really appreciate it. All right. Talk to you again Thank soon. You. All right. Be good. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, it's Vaughn Miller. I just landed in L.A. I'm a Los Angeles Ram. I'm ready to get to it. Let's go. Vaughn Miller now uh, has something in common with our next guests. Uh, they could both call themselves Los Angeles Rams. And one day, Vaughn Miller will probably have something else in common with our next guest and call himself a Hall of Famer, uh, one of the greatest to ever carry in football in NFL history, uh, Eric Dickerson, the ninth leading rusher in NFL history, and it'll be a while before anybody passes him, and still the single season record holder with 2,105 yards in 1984. Uh, here representing Los Angeles. So let's start with Von Miller, man. Like, what was your reaction to the Rams uh, continuing to go all in on the pursuit of a championship, one that could be won in SoFi Stadium if, uh, if things go according to plan? Well, at first I thought it was, I thought they were just trying to get him. And then I heard they had signed him. I'm like, we really got Von Miller? So 
I'm excited about it. I, th- I think the, the defense should be really excited about it because you know, it gives Aaron Donald some help. I mean, our, our defense has been playing great, not just him. All the guys have been playing great on defense. But um, I think one of the things we were kind of hurting is at linebacker. But Von Miller, is a whole, he's, a, he's a different player, to- totally different player. Um, you know, it takes some of the pressure off of, off of uh, Aaron Donald. Uh, I think Raheem Moore has done a great job with our defense. Uh, it's a very aggressive defense. And, you know, we're trying to win a Super Bowl here in L.A. I mean, and the thing is, people always say, oh, you give up all your draft picks. Look, it's no guarantee those draft picks are going to pan out. That, that's, that's really what it comes down to. When the Rams traded me, they got, they got uh, three first rounds, two second rounds, and two players. And maybe one of them panned out a little bit. So it's no, it's no guarantee. You get a proven player, you take that proven player. And I'm glad we got Von Miller. Well, it sounds like you were keeping up. When they traded, you wanted to see how it turned out. Were you were you watching the guys like, oh, he ain't about nothing. Next, Wait, how, how was how'd you process that when they uh when, when they traded you? Man, I didn't want to get traded, but I'm gonna tell you, man, it was so bad. I mean, the way they treated the players and where they were paying us. I mean, I just give you an example. Uh, all right, Elway was the first pick. I was the second pick. I'm making $150,000. John, that was making over a million dollars. Something wrong with hmm. that picture. I mean, but that's how it was back in that. That's how they could do you back in those days. It was just a different time, different era. I wanted to be a Los Angeles Ram for my whole career. But, you know, it didn't work out that way. But I live in L.A. I've, I've stayed in L.A. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an L.A. person, L.A. night. I mean, you just – How was it Mike, now? Could you – you, you, yeah, yeah, this, this was a 10-player trade? In 1987, I think it was eight players. Eight players traded. I mean, because the way when you just said it, kind of just in passing, I'm like, damn, that would never happen right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me talk about the Herschel Walker trade. I forgot how many people uh, went to the Rams and you went to the Colts, man. But I'm sorry, Michael. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, how was it now? You talked about, uh, you know, what it was like in Los Angeles or even in the NFL during that time. But now, you know, the Rams left uh, L.A. when St. Louis then came back. What, 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 what's, your, what's your characterization or just what's your assessment of what football in Los Angeles is now compared to what it was? Well, I'll say this much here. When I was here in L.A., you know, we were in Anaheim. And, and playing in Anaheim was, was different. I mean, I can think of some of the guys, the guys I was on, the older guys on the, on the team with, and they say, man, when we moved out of L.A., we lost a lot of fans. He said, I'm telling you, it's not the same out here in Anaheim. Uh, not it was in the Coliseum. And, and you hear, I heard Deacon Jones even said, he said, when we were in the Coliseum, I mean, you'd have 100,000 people at the game, you know, every, every Sunday. But now the L.A. Rams coming back into L.A. I mean, and we already had a fan base, but now you really see how many fans we really have. I mean, the Rams are taking back over the city that I say they lost many years ago, and they lost it to the Raiders. I mean, this is still right now Raider town. Let's be honest, a Raider town. But the Rams are taking the city back over. When you go to SoFi Stadium, I think we, I know for a fact it's the most beautiful stadium in the world. I mean, it's so loud in there, you know, with the fans. Hmm. I mean, very loud because because the old days you go to stay, go to a game and you may hear more cowboy fans than you hear your own fans. You know, we played the 49ers. We play we play at home now. We played the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a couple of weeks ago. We hear our fans, and and that that makes you happy. That makes you know that L.A. is back. It's 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 a it's a it's a city that that loves their sports. 
I mean, it's a hot city for sports right now. You've got the Lakers, you've got the Dodgers, you've got the Rams, you've got the Chargers, you know, you've got the Angels up the street, you've got the Kings. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a plethora of sports in, in this city. You know, you were talking about that pay gap between you and Elway, um, the top two picks at 83 draft. Um, I guess the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Because running backs still don't get the respect they deserve. And I referenced that 2105. You know, same year Marino threw 48 touchdowns, you rushed for 2805. And Marino's uh, record has been passed several times. Still nobody's touched 2105. Um, we thought, like, oh, 17 game season, we see somebody smashing that, maybe Derrick Henry, and then he goes down with an injury. Do you think that that record might last quite a while longer? Like, even with 17 games. Like, do you ever feel threatened that somebody might actually get the 2105 or has the position been devalued and so few running backs carry it 380 times to where they may not catch Eric Dickerson from 84? I don't think they devalue the position. I think they, they, they try to devalue the position so, that, so they don't have to pay the running back as much. You know, I know it's a passing, it's a passing game for sure, but if you have a guy that can run the football like a Derrick Henry, that can carry the workload, that wants to carry the workload. That's what it comes down to. Do you want to run the football that much? Most backs don't want to run the football. I love running the ball. I mean, I was, I'm a big back. I was, I was six, I'm 6'3". I played at 225. I mean, Derrick Henry's bigger than me. He's about 6'4", 245. So that he's bigger. You know, the smaller backs are a little bit different. But it was a, it was, it was a different mindset. Like, I think about my friend Walter Payton, who carried the football. I think of Barry Sanders. I think of Marcus Allen. You know, guys who were... Were, were, were running backs. My friend Christian Okoye, who were real backs. But, you know, in today's football, you know, they try to make it into the passing game that, you know, you can't touch the quarterback, you can't touch the receivers off the line of scrimmage. So they don't want to see a 17-10 game. They don't want to see a 14-17 game. They want to see a 45-40, a 52-52 shootout. And, and, and that's, what, that's what some of the things have changed, have changed the game, you know, so far. Yeah. And they specialize these running backs, guy, too. That's right. You, right. you said some guys don't want to carry the ball, uh, Eric. Why not? Why don't Why don't they want to carry it like you guys did? Because they get they go they gonna, they gonna get beat up. Now I'm gonna get beat up if I carry it that much. Look, you don't get hit anyway. <laughs> well, you're gonna get hit. I mean, it's not it's gonna it's gonna happen. I mean, it can happen on the, the 30 hit hit. Or it can happen on the 30 hit. That's 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 just how football is. It's it's a very physical sport. And I mean, I hear it all the times. I, I ask I won't say the names. I ask some players. So how much you want how much you want to carry the ball? I mean, if I can carry it about 12 times and catch about six times out the backfield, that's it? 16 times? That's it? I mean, I would get that sometime in the first half. I, I could get 10 carries in the first quarter. I mean, so, uh, like I say, it, it's, it, it really is. It's a, it's a different football. It's a different league now. I was joking with you before you came on camera with us and we were saying hello, uh, that you look like you can get 30 carries to them right now if they needed you, you know. Um, and, hell, the Titans <laughs> – Adrian Peterson is still toting that thing. So, you know, you could probably do it if you wanted to. But just like I was just looking, man, and, you know, your rookie year, you come in, you carry 390. 84 in the record-breaking year, you carry 379. Only 292 in 85. And then 404 Held out, held out that year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And only, four, only 404. Uh, yeah, and then you come back with 404 in 1986. Um, what were you doing, you know, to keep yourself in both physical and the type of mental conditioning that it took to take that kind of pounding back in those days? Well, I got to say, I, I, I worked out very hard. You know, I didn't have all the stuff they have now, all the fancy stuff, all the vitamins and all that. And, you know, in a sense, I mean, I was kind of a genetic 
freak in a sense because it wasn't a lot of guys that was six three. You know, two twenty-five. You know, I ran a four-three forty. I cut. I could. I could do. I could do things a little guy could do. But mentally, I was mentally tough. I mean, I'm from the. I'm from the country. I'm from. I'm a country boy. And I never forget. We played the Saints, uh, my rookie season, and Ricky Jackson, my friend, Ricky Jackson, the Hall of Fame yeah. linebacker from the Saints. He told me at the Pro Bowl after that season. He said, Eric. He said, man. He said, man. I'm telling you, man. You're a great player, man. He said, our defense, he said, we saw you on film. He said, oh, we're going to break him. He, he run tall and pretty. We're going to break him over. And he said, man, I'll never forget it. The, the more we hit you, the harder you ran. And we come back to the hull. He said, man, is he running harder? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, that's that country in me. I mean, I'm just <laughs> country, man. You ain't going to break me down. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm old school. So, you know, I just had that mentality that, that I want to be better than anyone else out there. But on a related note, I wonder, and Michael and I were talking about this the other day. I don't know how much you've kept up, kept up with some of the headlines. You know, you have Calvin Ridley from the Falcons taking a step away. You have Lane Johnson being very vulnerable and, and, and transparent about some of his mental health struggles. And I was saying, you know, God only knows uh, how many players, you know, had to suffer in silence and had to, you know, struggle with different emotional, psychological, uh, you know, pains or what have you. But back in those days, it just wasn't something that was talked about openly the way it is now. You played in those days where you could not show any kind of weakness. You just spoke to it. Like, you had to have a certain mentality and there was no mental health breaks. You know, like, could you speak to just how times have changed from when you played and maybe some of the guys, and you have to name any names, but looking back, you knew they were going through something, but they just couldn't express it the way guys have the liberty to do now. Man, that's, that's such a great question because we guys, we talk about just what you said. You know, we said, man, we knew so-and-so, he had some mental problems and, 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 and how it affected him. And that's why, you know, he couldn't seem to get over this or he couldn't, he, he couldn't reach his full potential. I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, you think about as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a former player, you know, you go into a stadium, you know, black player, you, you call all these derogatory names. You know, I can think of... I can think of several cities went to college, these derogatory names, or getting letters in the mail, you know, and, and you have to read this stuff, saying stuff about you. And my mother, I'll never forget my mother, she hated football. She said, Eric, she said, I hate that sport. She said, because I hate what they write about you in the paper. She said, I know how I raised you. I know what kind of, I know what kind of young man you are. And to read that kind of stuff, it really hurts. It hurt my mom. And, and, and that, would, that would hurt me, but the thing is, I would hold it in. You, you hold it in. You don't say anything, you know, because as a, as a football player, you don't complain. You know, you hurt, you play hurt. You know, if you got something going on in your life, you, you play through it. And that's just how we were taught, especially being a black athlete. You know, being a, you, you didn't complain about it. Even though you might say something to someone else or not, you may say it to your wife or your girlfriend, but a lot of times you held it in sometimes. And, and sometimes, man, it would just come out in, in crazy ways. It would just come out in, in ways like, wow, really, what's, what's going on with him? Hmm. Well, man, hey, we'll tell you, you what, we you, appreciate. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just, I was, I was just going to say, uh, I was just going to say, Mike uh, and, and Eric, you know, how did, did you talk about that at the time, though, especially with the, the insults of, you know, you're a black player, you know, going into some of these spaces and hearing all sorts of things. Did you talk about that with coaches? Did you talk about that with other players? And what were those conversations like at the time? 
you talk, you talk you talk about it with the players because you were part of it. They were part of it also. I mean, I talk about it. I have my book. I have a book. My book coming out in January 18th. I have a, a new, book, new new book coming out called Watch My Smoke, and I talk about it. I talk about some of the things that were said to me. You know, some of the letters I got in the mail. I mean, I'll just say we we've got me personally. I just can't pull for Boston. I mean, because I knew what was said. We go to New England. I knew what the fans would say to us. You know, I knew how they. They, you know, they, they would call us all these derogatory names, the N-word, all kind of names. I mean, it was like, I'm like, wow. I mean, and and and, and certain times, I mean, it's just things that, I mean, you know, it was hurtful, but but you you held it in. I mean, you, you sucked it up because you as a black athlete, a black man, you know, you know, we, we're, we're not supposed to complain. And we didn't come. We complained to each other. Man, you, man, yeah, you say, man, yeah, I know, man, but it's. It's, me- it's messed up. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one quick story uh, for me. And when I played in Indianapolis, and I'll never forget this. My, my, I, was, I was dating a girl, and we're still friends to this day. They, they let a banner hang over the stadium with a, with, a, with a black baby sitting in an Indian-style position with fried chicken on one side, watermelon, and, and, and holding some money in his hand. I mean, and now with, with 29 on it. Now, mm. that's, my, that's my stadium. You know, that's the stadium I'm in. Now, how am I supposed to? And they let that stay up there at halftime. And I'll never forget her reply. She said, Eric, that was so hurtful to me. She said, it had to be hurtful to you. I said, I said it was hurtful to me. I said, but what could I do? I'm, I'm on the field playing. So hmm. it's stuff like that, man, that, that, that you don't forget. You know, you, 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 you. and they say, oh, you got to let that go. <laughs> Come on, man. Certain thing you can't let go. And when you think about it within that context, it just makes all the more remarkable what you and your contemporaries and even your predecessors were able to do on the field in spite of all of that. Uh, I was never any fast, but when I did run the football, I tried to run high, you know, just like ED, and I, and yeah. with the goggles and everything. So we're going to be watching for the book. Yeah. We're going to be watching, watch my smoke. Uh, your memoir, I'll show you have, uh, many more stories. The neck roll, everything, man. You know, oh, you got to have the neck roll. The neck roll, you got to have a neck roll. Absolutely, Run man. it up, Absolutely. boy. One of a kind running style. Eric Dickerson, Hall of Famer, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you for the transparency and the vulnerability. And uh, we'll see you in L.A. You can give us a tour of SoFi Stadium because we'll be out there. God willing, in the creek don't rock. We'll be there. We'll be out there for the Super Bowl. No problem. No problem. Love to. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Third and eight. Fired over the middle. Caught on the run by Cedric Wilson. And Wilson inside the 10, all the way to the end zone. Cedric Wilson. First and goal to the end zone. And it is held for the touchdown. Amari Cooper over Cameron Dantzler. Michael, I just live to put a smile on my friend's face.
<laughs> and so friend of the show, Ashley Nicole Moss, is here. I just wanted her to smile about her cowboys uh, who go into Minnesota uh, and win with a backup quarterback by the name of Cooper Rush. Um, so, Ashley, uh, I guess I've been waiting to talk. I don't think I've talked to you really since the beginning of the season. So yeah, it's been a while. while. It's been a while. Just as you've watched them over, uh, over, these, over these games, over the first half of the season, What's different about this team? We could point to Dak Prescott's return, you know, injury aside. We could talk about the two-headed attack at running back. We talk about Trayvon Diggs and the defense. But what is it that you're seeing as a fan who's observed it up close and personal for a long time? What's different about this group? Why is this group special and not like Cowboys of years past that would find a way to choke it away? <laughs> I think a few things. I think obviously the defense is a huge difference maker in this team, right? You have a defense that really is conducive for helping you to win games. It's not strictly reliant on the offense anymore. Um, you can actually feel comfortable putting a game in their hands, you know, a deciding game in their hands and feeling comfortable that, you know, they'll come through for you. I think that's a huge difference maker. I think also the offense has just figured out multiple ways to win. And I think that's so important. When I say that, people are probably saying like the Cowboys were winning before, but if you look, they were kind of winning in the same, you know, realm, right? It's it's very a run heavy offense is what Dallas kind of has always prided themselves on. But now you kind of dug deeper into that bag of tricks and said, okay, so what else can we do? We can run. We can obviously use our running backs differently than other people in the league. We have wide receivers that can be quarterbacks. We have a whole mixture of guys in our at our disposal that we can use to help us win and it's time that we start tapping into that and I think that's what we're seeing it's a different type of um, offensive scheme from these guys every single week in some capacity obviously a lot of familiarities but also a lot of surprises in the mix and this is just a really really good football team so in the battle for conference supremacy I'm sure you have your eye on everything that's going on with the Bucks and the Cardinals and the Rams um, and, you know, and the Packers, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to get your reaction on today's development that Aaron Rodgers, uh, can we, it can, it's confirmed that he's unvaccinated and tested positive for COVID. What's your reaction to that story? So, look, I know in the technicality realm, he didn't lie. You know, it, it's 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 a very fine line between being vaccinated and being immu- and immune to something. Immunized, rather, is the word that he used. It's a very thin line, and a lot of people really don't know the difference in definition, and he right. knew that. It was a very misleading statement. So, yes, in technicalities, he didn't lie, but when it comes to moralities and You know, for people who don't like it, that's really how the world kind of functions, right? People move in moralities, not so much technicalities in their everyday life. It was a very misleading statement. He knew what he was doing. I don't know if he got legal counsel to use that word or he's just, you know, um, has a master degree in semantics. I'm not really quite sure what the issue there was, but it definitely was a misleading statement. I think also a lot of blame is to look at the NFL and the Packers organization. And it's coming out that reportedly they may have known, you know, given the fact that he tried to go ahead and um, appeal to a different types of, um, I guess, medicine to, to adhere to or to combat rather the normal vaccination requirements for people, you know, in this pandemic world that we live in. Obviously, he didn't want to do that. 
And the NFL knew what his stance was and is still allowing them, is still allowing him and the Green Bay Packers are still allowing him to kind of maneuver as a vaccinated player, knowing that his status is completely opposite of that. So you also look at it from a selfish standpoint, right? Because you're endangering the lives of your teammates. You're endangering the lives of the people that work at the facility. You know what your status is. But then on top of that, not even from a football standpoint, you're extremely selfish in what the goal is of each and every single season, right? And that's to win championships. Because now you have your team facing off against the Kansas City Chiefs, who, yes, they don't look great, they don't look hot, but that's still a really good football team. And that could possibly result in a loss unnecessarily for the Packers. A week later, you face the Seattle Seahawks. Don't know what the status is with Russell Wilson. The pin has come out of his finger. He may or may not be able to play. That could also result in an unnecessary loss. You may not clear protocol by then. It's just a selfish decision from so many different aspects of the game. And at the end of the day, he wasn't even forthcoming about it. Like, at least someone like Kirk Cousins or Cole Beasley, you know where they stand. They, you know what I mean? You can say the, what you want, they but the they're very upfront. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and, and right. for that matter, Kyrie Irving, they took the, they took the criticism. Absolutely. They, they made their choice. Yeah. They took the criticism. They didn't hide behind any technicalities. And last but not least, Ashley, you forgot that he might be handing home field advantage to your Dallas Cowboys, Michael Holly. Listen, <laughs> listen, I wasn't going to say it, but we can say it. <laughs> Hey, and, and I'll tell you this. You said they may, they may lose to Kansas City. They are. I told Michael earlier, Ashley, they losing to Kansas City, uh, Green Bay. You don't know. That's, Jordan, you know, Jordan Love City. may come out and surprise a That's lot of I'm people. We don't you. know. We haven't hey, seen much from him. Hey, Jordan, it ain't personal, Jordan. Hey, like, you, <laughs> you, you go play well, but Kansas City is on, is on that. Uh, They're going to go on a run. I'm going to tell you right now. But uh, you, you mentioned the Cowboys with home field advantage, possibly. Is there anybody in the NFC? Let's be honest here. Anybody in the NFC you look at and you say, ooh, I, I don't know if the Cowboys are a good matchup for them or I don't want to face them. Any NFC team that, that meets that description? I got to say, the one that makes me nervous are those Los Angeles Rams. I mean, the addition of Von Miller is just like an unfair Madden roster that I don't even know. I don't know what they're doing in Madden LA. How is it, it that they're? How is it that they're allowing teams to stack like this in Los Angeles? What the hell is going on over there? Like someone needs to do an investigation of LA sports because it's just not adding up. I smell a conspiracy theory and I want to investigate it. But yeah, that was already a really really good football team. I had already said that this is a team to look out for. I think they're going to go ahead and take their division and you know now it's looking like they're they are a team to beat if not the team to beat in the nfc and it's it's definitely gonna be interesting i think matthew stafford has kind of risen from the ashes like the phoenix right because he was in this black hole this tundra that was the detroit lions for so long and he went ahead and not only did he escape that but he escaped it to the best possible destination it's sunny la you know, he's surrounded by celebrities. But on top of that, it's a really, really good football team with a whole lot of talent. And, I mean, this is going to be a team that you got to look out for. And any team that has to play them has to have that circled on their calendar. Like, this will not be easy. Not by any means. Uh, speaking of, uh, let's pivot, let's, let's switch sports. Uh, it's a uh. great time to be asking Nicole <laughs> Malls. Not, not just because of all the... Things you got going on in your career, but uh, all your teams uh, are yeah. right now between the Cowboys, your Knicks. And I don't know because you're, you're joining us from Miami. You 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 know you live between Miami and New York, and 
Uh, you got ties to Miami. So I don't know if you rep the heat at all, but I was thinking, man, like, you know, coming into the season, Michael and I, we got this thing carry over from last year, Bucks and Nets. And it's like, we can have all the preconceived preseason notions we want, but the Miami heat, like, oh, I don't know if they room on that bandwagon. They came in the last night with the best defense in the league. Four people go for 22 points, I believe, for the first time in franchise history, which is saying something, last night against the Mavericks. Wow. Um, so good. The, the Heat looked like, we knew they had a chance coming into the season. Now they look like the class of, of the conference, if not the league. So I'm, I'm getting a two for one out of you. you the Heat, your Knicks, like, you know what I mean? How do you see that uh, old school rivalry renewed playing out in the Eastern Conference? Just those two teams in particular. <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking forward to that kind of a matchup. We, we for some reason, do not match up well with the Miami Heat. We just don't. If you look at the series and the games that we played in the course of last season, I think we want we lost every single one. It's just it's a matchup for some reason that does not do well with the New York Knicks. And I covered the Miami Heat for two years when I was on Miami Sports Radio. And so I've seen this team, you know, when they did their stint in the bubble and then when they came out and they kind of were a shell of that team. And now you look at the revival of these guys. I say this all the time. And I know this is like a cardinal sin as a Knicks fan to give the Miami Heat any type of accolades, any type of props, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is a very well-run organization from top to bottom. Pat Riley is a genius. You have the team owner, Mickey Arson, who, who you know, really eats, breathes, and sleeps the Miami Heat and the Miami Heat culture. You know, Coach Spo, I have been a huge fan of him for a very long time. I think he's an exceptional coach. I don't think he gets enough credit from mainstream media, and I think that's really just because the Miami Heat aren't really often talked about on the bigger platforms, but he is a great coach. His guys respect him. They have a great vet in Haslam. They have a great group of guys who are hungry and determined. They put the work in. That is just a really, really, really good organization, and it's a team that I'm afraid of. It's a team that I do not want my Knicks to have to face sooner than they have to because it is not a team that we historically do very well against, and I'm not quite sure why that is, why we can't seem to get that matchup against them you know, figured out, but that is a team that you definitely have to look out for. Now, it's very early in the season, and we've seen this story from the Miami Heat before. They start off very hot, and then January, February, it starts to crumble a little bit, and they drop down in those standings. But if this team can go ahead and keep this trajectory, and not only that, but expand upon it, you got to watch out for the 305. They're not playing any games. Hey, Michael, look, Mm. Jimmy Butler's on a short list of people that if I had one game to win, I'm trying to go to battle with that dude. It's Jimmy Butler. That's so, <laughs> yeah, I, Jimmy's like, a great guy. They got some. They got a great locker room. They got a great roster too. Go ahead, Mike. Well, well. Speaking of guys that you'd go to battle with, and speaking of stories that we've seen before, Ashley, we we all saw the Last Dance. Uh, that was big pandemic <laughs> watching. There was no sports at the time, and everybody really oh, tuned in. You want a tiebreaker? Week, week after week. <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, I don't want Ashley. I'm not going to tell you where either of us stands. We talked about Scottie Pippen's new book. There was an excerpt released, and Scottie Pippen's in his feelings. Says Michael Jordan, that wasn't no documentary. Jordan once again took all the credit. Pippen not happy. Do you think that Scottie has a point about the Last Dance and how he was portrayed, or uh, do you think he just needs to move on and, and recognize the greatness, the iconic cross generational greatness of Michael Jordan? I think. 
think every basketball team has a Beyonce. And once you learn that you are not Beyonce, the better off that you will be. Listen, nobody is discrediting Scottie Pippen. Nobody is discrediting his accomplishments. And nobody's discrediting what he meant to the Chicago Bulls in that time of multiple championships and just history-making basketball. No one's ever discredited that. But let's call a spade a spade. That team, the sun was Michael Jordan. And everything else was circulating Michael Jordan. It wasn't Scottie Pippen in the center. It wasn't, you know, Steve Kerr in the center. It wasn't Donis, um, It wasn't Dennis Rodman in the center. It was Michael Jordan. The last dance is 98% Michael Jordan and 2% everybody else. It doesn't mean that your 2% wasn't substantial. It just means that there's only one Beyonce, and that is Michael Jordan. On the Lakers, LeBron James is Beyonce. When it came down to the Miami Heat, depending on who you ask, it was D-Wade who was the Beyonce. I mean, every team has the center. Every team has the star. Every team has the person that the stories are written about, you know, that the posters are created about, you know, that the kids idolize. And some of that may fall on Scottie Pippen. Somebody may look at that team and say, you know what, Scottie's the guy that I want to be. But everybody wants to be like Mike for a reason. It just It's just the nature of the beast. And I wish that Scottie at this point in his life would just relish in the fact that he is a history-making basketball player. He will forever go down in the history books. He was part of one of the most incredible basketball teams in the history of the NBA. He has multiple rings. He is Scottie Pippen. Everyone knows when you say Jordan, you say Pippen. What is wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Nothing. Ashley, let me tell you. Let me tell you. If Jordan Beyonce... If Jordan is Beyonce, Scottie Pippen is Kelly Rowland. I will exactly. ride for Kelly Rowland. I love you know what I mean? Kelly. I love Kelly. Ain't Rowland. no shame in that. I love Kelly. Ain't no shame. Ain't really no shame in it. You got me straight. You. When you use it that way, I see it uh, clearly. Uh, see, I see it. next time, Ashley. Next time I struggle. Just be on standby. I'm gonna just call you to come bring it down for Michael because he don't be Always listening to me. He listens to you. I, I, I have no idea why, but he listens to you. The Beyonce thing, me, so it's all good. The Beyonce good. thing was just that, that was the illustration I needed. See, That's she got the needed. illustration that I needed to understand. Ashley <laughs> Nicole you, Moss, Ashley. we appreciate you. It's so good to see you. Been too long. Uh, come back again soon. All right. Of course. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, I'm still numb, so I really don't have emotions. I'm just kind of trying to tell you guys things of how I feel because I don't really feel anything yet. What this organization has accomplished in six years, we lost 97 games in 2015, and six years later, we're world champions. Um, That's extremely hard to do, and what this organization the front office did um, to do that, and it's special. It's a special group that what we were able to accomplish in such a short time. I mean, this year... it was improbable. I mean, in my opinion, we lost the best player in the National League in July. The next day, Ian's going for an MRI and, and during the All-Star break. And we hit every pothole, every bump you could possibly hit this year. And somehow, 
the car still made it onto the other side. So this city's been hungry for a championship for so long, and I cannot wait to see um, the, the crowds here in the next couple of days when we get back home. So I'm just so thankful that we were, that we were able to bring them, bring them home a championship. I'm honored, blessed to be able to be sitting here in front of you guys as a world champion. It's, like I say, it's just not something, you know, something you dream about, but I don't know that you ever feel like it's going to be a reality, honestly. You know, and it hasn't been a reality. Michael, you and I are old. You and I are old. So 1995 doesn't seem like that long ago to us. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, we can remember right. it vividly. There are, there are, there's a generation, there are young Atlanta, ATLians, Atlanteans, there are young Braves fans who have had a unique type of torture. And it's a torture that I can relate to. So, you know, I told you, you know, growing up in New Orleans, we didn't have a baseball team, so I was a Braves fan in the early 90s. But the reason I yeah. told you this story before, the reason I stopped being a Saints fan is I didn't grow up with the Aints. I didn't grow up when they never had a winning season. I, get, I grew up with them with Jim Moore and Jim Finks when they were going to the playoffs and losing in the first round, yeah. oftentimes at home to the Falcons or the Eagles, right? So I was like, I can't take this teasing anymore. Michael, did you know that Atlanta had gone 16 straight playoff appearances without a title. Longest streak in Major League history. So they've been in the playoffs, perennial playoff team for the most part, but had never gotten a title. And so you talk about a team that as of July 13th had a 3% chance of winning the World Series. They were 44 and 45 at the break. Second team ever, first in our, either of our lifetimes to go from having a losing record at the All-Star break to champions. Weren't above, weren't above 500 until August the 6th. That's 111 games in. Everybody knows about all the losses that they suffered and the deals that they made at the deadline. And so finally, Atlanta's professional sports, they, for so long, they just had to sit there and take it because their team yeah, couldn't right. take it because their team couldn't, yes. couldn't close the deal. So right. just tip right. of the cap right. to the right. Atlanta Braves and hats off to the long-suffering Atlanta sports fans who have been the butt of jokes, yeah, but today you get the last laugh. That's exactly what it's about, and that's why I'm happy for them. You know, back in the day when, uh, it, it, you know, even before we had this, uh, this media explosion, before there was a peacock and, uh, and streaming shows, and, and before there was an internet uh, and, and uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram, Insta there was something called the Superstation. Says Bill Belichick. Yeah, there was something called the Superstation. <laughs> yes, right? TBS, baby. Uh, yes, it was. Yes. It was Ted Turner's. It was Ted Turner's team. It was Ted Turner's station, and the Atlanta Braves were America's team. And you just knew. You saw them all the time. Their games. You could just get their games anywhere. And we are so far beyond that because you know the, the society has evolved. The, the culture has moved on. But I was so happy to see them just kind of go through everything. I like somebody said yesterday, they hit every pothole. They sure did. They hit every pothole. They had injuries. They faced uh, the best team, in my opinion, the best team in baseball, regular season at least. I know the Giants had more wins, but the Dodgers were better. Uh, they took down the Dodgers. They never got to an elimination game. They overcame last year. Forget about the history of Atlanta sports. Mike, last year, they were up three games to one on the Dodgers and the Dodgers came back and beat them and won the World Series. And so it was just they fit into so many narratives 
that go with many Atlanta sports teams. Oh, they'll get there. They won't get it done. They'll get there. They'll choke. They'll come just this close. They'll be almost famous. Props to them. And Mike, I'm going to say the last thing I love about the Atlanta Braves, what they did in game six. What they did in game six, you know what they did? Ooh, what get they off do? my lawn. What they do? Get off my What they do? Get off. Well, what they do? What they, they do? Get off my lawn, like, y'all. Is, is this a starting pitcher take? Is this, is this a starting pitcher take? <laughs> I, I'm putting up holy know. hands. <laughs> I'm putting up holy hands on this one. <laughs> Go ahead and pitch that thing. He, he actually... He actually pitched beyond the fourth and beyond the fifth. <laughs> I know. Go ahead. See, Go ahead, Max Freed. We owe. Thank you. We owe. I um, know. But hey, listen, uh, I'll, quick, I'll get a quick. It's a good time to be a Georgia sports fan in general because, I mean, the Hawks are back. Yeah. Got a superstar, a, a superstar in the making uh, in Trey Young. Um, forget about the Falcons for now. Still 28-3 jokes, I guess. Uh, but. You know, look, that's college football country, as you know, and they got the best team in the country. That part was easy. The college football rankings. See, the thing about trolls Man. is they can only be as effective as the energy you give them. That's and right. I ought to know by that's now right. not right. to get right. caught up in these rankings because so much is so much chaos is sure to ensue. Um, between now and when and when it really matters, and the, and the answer is really expansion. If you if we talk about being fair, having said all that, how the hell Cincinnati second in the AP poll and six in the college football mm-hmm. playoff rankings? And, and more, furthermore, look, I get it's Alabama, but Alabama, how's Alabama number two? If you want to put Alabama in the, right. in the top four, that's right. one thing. You want to put Alabama in the top four? Okay, but. Oregon losing who lost to Stanford beating right. uh, ahead of Ohio State because they beat him. I get that. Michigan State they beat him. We got yeah. a little uh, a little uh, graphic error there. Ooh man, hope ain't no Spartan fans watching. They're gonna be pissed at that number three graphic. But like, Ooh. don't you dare confuse us Ooh. with Michigan. But Michigan State belongs oh in the top four. Cincinnati having beaten Notre Dame. It's like they set it, they're setting them up to fail. Like so many things would have to break perfectly for them in order for Cincinnati to go higher uh, to enter into the top four. Like they don't have anything remaining on their schedule as it lays out now that would impress the committee enough beyond what they've already seen. I know you've struggled, you know, with Navy and Tulane the last couple weeks, whatever, whatever. Cincinnati belongs in the top four. But what you're really saying as yeah. a committee is like miss us with the group of five. Like, just, just, I wish they just come out and say that. Don't tell me that you respect Cincinnati, but then put them at number six. Exactly. Just say, if you're in a group of exactly. five, you're not coming to the party. You are out of the band. That's what you're saying. You are not with the cool kids. You are not sitting at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the lunch table with the cool kids. Just say that, because I don't know how Cincinnati's number six. That just, but I exactly. should know it's because it's, it's, it's a TV show. It's designed to get people pissed off like me about the rankings and tune in next week to see what kind of troll job. It's one long reality show for college football. It's one long advertisement. I say advertisement. You say advertisement. One long advertisement for college football. That's all it is. All no, you said say. it. You said it. And so you use the word chaos. Ain't no chaos because you know what's going to happen. You said, it, you said it correctly off the top that you can't give these energy to trolls because they just thrive. They thrive on that. And so we already got a preview 
when the, uh, the director, I can't remember his name, but, the, but pretty much the guy who's putting it all together, director of the, of the uh, college football Gary playoff Barter? says. Gary Barter? Yeah, the chairman, yeah, Gary said, Barter? Hey, look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, look, Cincinnati, it'd be Notre Dame. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Said, but who else did they play? He was like, he was like hey, like, who else y'all got? What else you got? You ain't done nothing. And so it's too bad. That's the way they look at it. It's no chaos at all. You know what's going to happen. Cincinnati, yeah. get ready. You're going to be disappointed unless, unless one of those other teams loses. And thank the team an hour but, and a half to the northeast of you who's going to do your work for you when they knock off Michigan State. Thank Ohio okay, State okay, now. Okay, but wait. They go create but an opening for you. But then Ohio State will jump in there. They go put a, they'll put a two-loss yeah. Alabama team in there before they put Cincinnati in there. It's set up for Michigan and even Wake Forest you know, right. to leapfrog Cincinnati. You Cincinnati has a better chance of falling down in the rankings, even if they win out, than they do of moving up. Watch what I tell you. That's how much the fix is in against yep. a group of five. Yeah, I go get my blood pressure up. That's Yo, we got a, a, a new story that we're going to tease for tomorrow on the other side, Michael. I just saw something cross. We ain't going to have enough time to get into it or unpack it, but we got to tease this for tomorrow. Cool. Hey, Mike, I'm going to do a real TV thing right now and tease tomorrow's show. Try to entice ahead, our viewers it, and listeners it. to watch tomorrow's show because we got to read and unpack this tomorrow. Shout out to Chris Haynes for providing some content on Yahoo about a, a meeting between Dame and LeBron in the offseason. So we got to mm. talk about that tomorrow. We don't have enough time. Then we got to talk about uh, Shams tweeted that Daryl Morey approached Ben Simmons about his return to game action, but Simmons restated that he's not yet mentally ready to play and continue to seek professional help. No timetable for his return. You and I have been texting privately, and there's a conversation, oh, another a fresh Simmons conversation, I know, that yeah, we're going to have that's yeah, gonna going to take there. some time. So go that's two th- I always love this time of the show because I, I, every, you know this. Every time we go into the show, I'm like, how are we going to feel two hours? By the end of it, I'm like, damn, we ain't get to all this stuff. So there's a couple of NBA stories we're going to tackle tomorrow. But, Michael, with the time we have left, I need for you, Michael, to tell me something good. Because I spent all day listening to the fallout from election night and right, right. the losses and the lessons for the Democratic Party Preview in 2022 midterms and perhaps 2024. A blueprint for the Republicans has been established in Virginia. Uh, but tell me something good politically on the way out. Let me Give tell you some good, good news. Let me tell you something good. Uh, Shout out to Rufus Shaka Khan. Tell me something yeah, good. Tell me something good. Tell me that you love me, baby. Look, uh, you uh, once lived in the uh, great city of Boston. It's been around for a long time. And many things have been true about City Hall, about the person occupying City Hall in Boston. That person has always been white. That person has always been male. Until last night, Michelle Wu, who did not grow up in Boston, that's significant, I'll tell you why in a second. Michelle Wu did not grow up in Boston, but she has been schooled in Boston. She is a Harvard uh, Harvard Law School graduate. 36 years old. Becomes the first woman, the first woman of color, the first person of color to be elected. That's three for three. As mayor, uh, yeah, right. To be elected as mayor of Boston. So you uh, she for won it? it against another. I, I mean, sure did. That, you, you oh, did? I sure yeah, did. Yeah. Yes, I did. And she, I and she ran on a progressive platform, right? Progressive. 
And that's why right. and, and that's why it's so good because she was against that, Yeah. She was going up against an establishment candidate who mentioned early in the campaign, well, she's not from here. And that didn't that didn't land the way the candidate thought it would. People weren't feeling that. By the way, a little little stat for you. Forty three percent of the people, only forty three percent of the people in Boston right now are voting uh, eligible, grew up here. Forty three percent. It's a changing city. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.